Spend time with the Voices of Watch Collecting. A blog to watch's team broaches the most important topics in timepiece enthusiasm today. This is the Spending Time Show. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Spending Time Podcast. Today we're going to talk about what's going on with watch trade shows in 2020. We originally recorded this podcast when news of Watches and Wonders Geneva 2020 was announced uh, that it was going to be canceled. And then about a day later, just after we initially recorded this podcast, Baselworld announced that it was going to be canceled. So this is a bit of a new intro, um, and then you'll hear the rest of the show as we recorded it, myself and David Breden from A Blog to Watch. I had predicted uh, incorrectly um, that Baselworld was going to go on. Uh, what I had said was that the show was not going to be canceled unless they had directive from the Swiss government, and that's actually what happened. Uh, Baselworld did not cancel because they wanted to cancel. They canceled because of restrictions um, that the Swiss government had on people congregating uh, to certain types of shows uh, out of fear and concern for the COVID-19 coronavirus. So as of right now, in the end of February 2020, uh, all the major watch trade show events for 2020 have been canceled, uh, which means that they will come back later. Uh, shows like Watches and Wonders Geneva and Basel World have indicated that for 2021, things are, are going to, to be going on. It is a very confusing and strange period in the watch world right now. There's a lot of things for a lot of brands to sort out. It's going to be difficult business for certain brands. There are going to be brands that are going to probably go away this year. Uh, there's also going to be a lot of opportunities. There's still going to be a lot of watches coming out, though there are a lot of complexities related to supply chain uh, issues because of the coronavirus. So it's not just people not being able to travel or people not shopping in China, but China is also a very important place for the watch industry in terms of where a lot of parts and things like that are made. So I will sort of use this as a segue into the rest of the show where we talk about the implications of Watches and Wonders Geneva 2020 being canceled. And now Basel World uh, 2020 has also been canceled, delayed, what you call it. Um, and we are going to continue to, of course, cover all the important watch news for the year. There'll be plenty of it. A blog to watch is going to be very busy this year. Uh, worry not. Uh, we're going to be on top of it for our audience that are members of the watch industry, as well as consumers who want to understand how is all of this news in 2020 going to affect me as a timepiece enthusiast and collector. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with David Breden. This is the Spending, uh, Spending Time podcast. Uh, we are going to talk about watch trade shows. This is a message to the Blog to Watch audience, and it is what is going on with, with the watch trade shows circa 2020, and should you care? How does it affect you? Uh, what's going on exactly? Um, David, how, how would you frame the issue exactly? Give some context to someone who's not really clear what we're talking about. It's, it's early 2020, just now, Watches and Wonders Geneva 2020 was canceled. Uh, what does that mean and what's the context? That's right. Hello, everyone. Well, the thing is, it's it's super confusing, even for us 
industry insiders. So we can only imagine what's it like to be a watch lover outside of these circles and looking at the scenario that um, that has unfolded in, in recent months with so many brands pulling out, many brands replacing others, some events getting cancelled. And just today, as we are recording this about an hour ago, we received the news that Watches and Wonders in, in Geneva is cancelled. So these two fairs, um, SIHH now known as Watches and Wonders and Baselworld have moved closer together in time for 2020, um, moving um, Watches and Wonders from January all the way to the end of April and moving Baselworld from end of March to end of April, early May. So the two were sort of coordinating for the first time in uh, basically forever. And we were looking forward to this and, and how it would uh, play out for all of us attending and how it would make uh, attendance higher and all that. And now we are, we are just hearing that Watches and Wonders has folded, at least for this year because of the coronavirus. Yeah, so, so that's they, where we are. They did say that, that 2021 is going to happen. And I think the presumption is that whatever is going on now with uh, fears about uh, a virus spreading will subside or be, you know, under control by then. Um, I think if if they're not, then we have bigger problems in the world other than luxury watches to deal with. So yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, you know, last year when we learned that SIHH now watches and wonders and Basel World were going to be back to back, we had like this very strange feeling where we're like what's it going to be like going from one show to the other, like right after another? Like we knew we'd only have to do it one time because we had already received information that for 2021, there wouldn't be two shows back to back in spring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest. It's it's funny because even years ago, I remember we recorded a podcast on attending Baselworld or SIHH or something. And we kind of shared the experience of how unbelievably exhausting it is. And for some people that just didn't compute, they, they were like, oh, it's a luxury trade show. How hard can it be? And Obviously, you're not climbing the Himalayas or anything like that, but it's extremely, extremely tiring, especially if you're not, you know, used to this kind of stuff. And some people are not, and I can see that their faces, like, like people are just drained out by, on, on day four. And to think that you would do like four or five days of watches and wonders, and then travel to Boston and start all over again for two weeks straight—that's it's unbelievably taxing. It, it is true. I think the we thing is, know. well, the thing is this, and it's true, like. The trade show, it's not just physical endurance. It's like this weird combination of physical endurance, mental endurance, and the need to do it again and again and again while smiling, fresh, with meetings from people that haven't seen you. Um, It's, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. Some people hate it, but it's a special form of exhaustion that every single year I ask myself, like, how much longer will I be able to physically withstand doing this? Yeah, we've been playing around with the ideas of hiring Sherpas, and uh, <laughs> there were actually some people who said they would totally do that, which is very kind of them. But uh, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Will Basel what happen this year? Now that Watches and Wonders said that it's it's canceling. Yeah, that's so. That's the big question in everyone's mind right now, and that is, will Basel World, which is like the, the last remaining one standing, you know, <laughs> Basel World is is um. <sighs> You know, it's like a display case full of watches, but a lot of the watches have been pulled out. So the display case is still there, but it's kind of empty. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think that, the sh- I mean, I think the show's still going to go happen. I don't think that there's any evidence to suggest that it's going to be canceled. The show themselves have repeatedly said, no, we're going to happen. 
Um, we've discussed this several times, and from a business perspective, Watches and Wonders being canceled is a very different type of thing than Baselworld being canceled. Baselworld is run by a third-party for-profit company called MCH, and for yep. them, Baselworld is a product, and it serves the watch industry as a client. But uh, for them to have a successful show, they just need paying exhibitors. Watches and Wonders is organized by the FHH, which does things for member brands uh, who are in the FHH. So, Watches Most and Wonders... Most of them are Richmond brands, so yeah. interrupt just to clarify. So, it's not, it's, it is not. It is true to say that both of the shows have exhibitors to pay to go. That's that's true. But Watches and Wonders is more by the brands for the brands. Mm-hmm. And Baselworld is not that. In order for Baselworld to be canceled, I don't think that they would do so unless they had a successful insurance claim to make. And to do that, they would need to be able to show... Uh, an insurance company, in my opinion, that despite their best efforts, the show had to be canceled. And them yeah. choosing to close it because of fear uh, is not is probably not enough. At least in my imagine, opinion. Yeah, fear doesn't sound like much, but imagine if someone uh, caught the virus while attending the show. That's a PR nightmare. People for- catch viruses every single year at that show. It's just a slightly different virus. It is true, but if from a PR standpoint, that's kind of irrelevant. I mean, people don't know that or don't don't appreciate that. I, I'm just saying, looking in, in, in hindsight, we're going to be like, we made a big deal because someone got sick at a conference. It happens all the time. Um, <laughs> this is not even the most <laughs> deadly communicable disease that you can get at a conference. It's just a new one, and it's exotic sounding, and people... Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that fears are, are are unfounded. It's it's definitely scary. Nobody wants to get sick, and and no one should suffer or or fear you know harm while doing business. But at the same time, um, it, it isn't exactly a good reason to not have the show. I think the reality is that this industry is so heavily reliant on Asia and China for a variety of reasons that it really can't go on without them. And I think that's really what the message is. The watch industry, from a production standpoint, as well as a consumer standpoint, has so overwhelmingly invested in Asia, namely China, that without that market deeply participating in their annual business, they cannot even operate. It doesn't make much sense, does it? Well, it makes sense because it's exactly what's going on, but it's not a particularly good business decision. That's what I mean, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the smarter brands, at least some of them already start emphasizing their presence and and, and focusing more on their U.S. presence, actually. And that started a year or two ago before all this this, uh, virus thing uh, was on the news or anything like that. But we could sense that China was... In the news, the Chinese market was in the, in the news either for slowing down in growth or just flat out, just or actually plummeting like Hong Kong uh, did a, a few years back when it when, when exports to Hong Kong fell to half of what they were the previous year. So, so we, we see some of these brands doing that. Do you think that that's going to be a way out um, to build on the U.S. and Europe again? Well, look, for whatever reason, and this is this is controversial, but. In some ways, it's easier to do business in uh, in a place like China, uh, persuading consumers of things, getting them to do things, accessing certain types of disposable income levels. Um, 
it's seemingly more straightforward. I mean, just the Chinese culture seems to want to gobble up luxury timepieces uh, very readily. It doesn't seem to need that much encouragement. Whereas in the United States, consumers need to be educated for many years sometimes that they should want something like a luxury watch. Uh, people take it for granted with cars, where they're like, everyone wants a luxury car. No, you have to be carefully educated over time as to what it means to have a luxury car, to be to be seen in one, to drive one. Um, it's, it's a nuance of culture that needs to be uh, expressed and educated, and it's, it's challenging to do. So, in order for a watch brand to do that successfully in America, they would have to teach a whole lot of people about that, and the watch industry doesn't know how to do that. Um, I'm not sure that anyone knows how to mass produce that. We probably know how to do that better than most people, um, but it takes effort, and it's just something they don't want to do. Remember, they're used to just selling a watch to a retailer, like a jeweler, who would then sell that product as, as I call it, functional jewelry for celebratory reasons to a customer coming in wanting to reward themselves. The brands didn't really have to explain too much because the retailer was basically doing that. Now that that type of, um, <clears throat> that type of situation is happening less, the brands are looking to where they can sell easily. You know, they're, they're trying to take the path of least resistance that from a business perspective, you know, anyone can understand. Yeah. So the U S is, a higher effort market. Like if you had to think about it in like oil drilling terms, the oil's just harder to get to. It's there, but it's going to take more of a long term, um, a long term risk and a long term investment to to get at it. And these are financial companies, and they want to see a return right away. And selling a bunch of watches into, you know, some, you know, massively populated city in China that people in Switzerland have never heard of and, you know, celebrating and hoping that things go well for the next few years, uh, is, is a more cost effective, not, not better, but more cost effective strategy than pumping, um, millions of dollars into a variety of different markets in the United States and realizing that it could take up to a decade to really grow. Um, so I think that some of the advice that, that they're ignoring is, is just advice that for them, uh, takes too long and they don't want to do it. And that's what a market like the United States, uh, I, I think, will probably require. And, and probably other markets like in Western Europe. So is that why, um, is that one of the reasons why we saw LVMH take its watch show or watch week to Dubai? Um, I guess that was also a way of branching out and finding alternatives. Um, LVMH brands, with the exception of Bulgari, will be at Baselwood this year, if Baselwood happens. But nevertheless, they did. I mean, LVMH did make, um, uh, did organize its own watch week where it presented some novelties for all four brands in LVMH. And they took that not to Miami or not to New York or LA, but they took it to Dubai. Yeah, so, I guess that explains it, right? So let's go back to the original question of why watch trade shows, you know, are important from a com consumer perspective. Mm -hmm. um, it's still where a lot of watches are debuted, meaning it's the first time anyone sees them, and there's a lot of media in the same place, so people get to take pictures and report about it, and a lot of retailers still want to see it. So the shows still make up for a lot of important um, uh, business as well as sort of media needs each year. So consumers would have 
theoretically a lot less you know ability to see new watches learn stories if the tr- if the if the the shows don't go on so putting it in sort of a blog to watch terms there's going to be new watches that we would have covered that we can't cover because we've never even seen it before hmm. and so that's that's a big risk that you know that um is going to exist for us so we're going to have to try a lot harder as an editorial team to cover the news so that we are able to present our audience with as many of the important quote unquote watches of the year. But in 2020, yeah. even though we're still going to publish every single day, we're going to have less watches that we're going to talk about simply because we're going to have to travel so much to see a smaller variety of timepieces. We're just never going to be able to, to make up for it. So that's, that's a really important consideration for consumers. And that's, I mean, again, they're consumers. They'll, 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 you know, it's not. A lot of them aren't even paying for media, though. That's a different story. If they started to, I'd love that. Um, I think it makes sense. But right now, you know, they're just sort of enjoying this as entertainment. So um, I hope that they like the watches that we're able to get in front of them. That's right. I mean, you guys stateside are starting with your um, travel schedules and visiting brands. Uh, me myself here in Europe, I've I've started. I'm I'm already on on the road watching or looking at uh, pre watches and wonders and pre Award um, novelties because some of the brands are organizing their own little events where they showcase under embargo some of the novelties. So some brands have already started doing that, and we're getting more and more invitations. And now that uh, watches and wonders is out of the picture, I wouldn't be surprised if we received an invitation from nigh on every single um richmond brand that has a meaningful and and actually important novelty to show us yeah so we're gonna have to go to potentially dozens of smaller meetings because think of this way we go to watches and wonders and it depends on the number of brands that are there but it's like 35 brands maybe more so mm-hmm. we get to see the new watches of 35 brands. We walk out of there with a minimum of 100 new watches that we can write about over the course of the year. That's like a third, nearly a third of the overall content that we need to publish over a calendar year. So for us, it's a great opportunity to get content so that we can have a diverse amount of it. We always have enough content, but it gives us such a rich variety to pull from so that so that when we can write about watches, we really write about the ones that we like the most or the ones that we feel uh, deserve the most attention. And we still miss stuff. There's stuff every single year that we miss. Right. That's true. So what's what's next for us? Let's let's close this discussion on, on what we're looking at for the next two months. Well, let's go back to the question of what does it mean that these shows are all closing? Does this mean the watch industry is shutting down? Does this mean, you know, like, I think that there's a lot of questions out there um, about what this means and probably a lot of misconceptions. I mean, you're on social media more than I am. What are people saying about all this? Well, some of them, some of them are... <laughs> either want to look smart or they are smart and and they're saying oh you know i've foreseen this for a long time or i was expecting it or whatever so of course there are a lot of uh, you know many people who, who want to picture this as the day of doom for for these trade shows and stuff like that uh, i'm just not quite sure that they fully understand how important and how functional these trade shows are i mean there is a good reason for their existence and just because they are you know like <laughs> in a downward spiral these days that doesn't mean that the functionality of a trade show uh, is 
is uh, antiquated or or should be ignored. I mean, maybe financial uh, financial um, you know ideas or, or financial concerns are, are causing some brands to pull out. But if those things were were righted and were corrected, and those concerns were uh, were to go away, I think we could really just have like two trade shows, not more, and cover all the major brands in, in, in a very efficient way and have content for you guys, for our audience, for the entire year to come. I think that would really be great. Yeah, there's been a lot of kicking trade shows while they're down mm-hmm. uh, by some people. You said it's going on social media. I've seen it like on LinkedIn. Um Almost like there's animosity, like these watch trade shows are getting what they deserve. I'm like, why are you angry at the notion of a watch trade show? I think that this is representative of an industry spending less money for a variety of reasons. A lot of it is investor confidence. And the fact that these alternative events are proving to be so valuable. I think the watch, the trade show in general, especially as the watch industry has it set up, is very old school. It's yeah. very pre-internet, if you really think about it, right? <laughs> so true, <laughs> literally. So, yeah. So, a lot of the manifestations of the internet, like being able to find retailers, has made a show like that not really necessary. And the fact that these brand people travel to all the big cities, anyways. And they have representatives that go around. So you don't really need the watch trade shows to meet with retailers, which was a traditional part of it. And the watch uh, trade shows, as I understand it, still like charge in terms of like what they what, what they cost as though they are the principal place where these brands make money. So it's almost like a tax to be there as opposed to like what it actually costs to show. So yeah. I, I don't really want to speak too much about this because it's not really for me to tell another business what to charge. But the luxury industry in general seems to be a lot of companies, and we are sadly um, sort of this this weird ethical bystander in the middle of this, a bunch of companies posturing with one another, seeing how much they can charge one another for services. Like, I wonder if I can get away with that price. Like, mm-hmm. we're literally in the middle of like a weird dodgeball game of that. And the That's trade so shows have been part of it because um, the amount of money they charge people. So I, I think if I had to answer the question of why are luxury items so expensive, it's because luxury brands charge each other so much money that they have to pass it on to the consumer in egregious ways. Like, you know what some brands pay for, like a watch case or a movement to be made or something like that. Like, it's insane. Yeah, it is. So... The watch trade shows have, in some way, been part of this circle of charging what they think they can get away with. And if that was the only place that you met with retailers each year, well then yeah, you wanted your million dollars in orders, you're going to spend like $100,000 to be there. What if you get like $100 million in orders? Well then maybe you'll spend a million dollars to be there. Right, but like, does it really cost a million dollars to like set up a booth and be on a show floor? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And so, not even one, but more like three or four or whatever. So the the traditional watch trade shows have been undercut time and time again by all these little regional trade shows, which yeah. got away with it because they were great and unto themselves. But then they sort of nickel and dime the brands to death, where they no longer have any money because these are watch brands; they're not that big. And they, what can they be in like? 
like 87 trade shows around the world? No, they can't do all no. this, let alone advertise, make new products, hire people. Like doing business in a global world has crippled these brands. And the answer for a lot of them is probably reduce your manufacturing by just doing business in less parts of the world. Yeah, that's all true. And that's that. That's what's, what, what creates this tricky situation. And yeah, we hear a lot of brands complain about how much these costs and not just about the booth, but getting your people there, you know, paying them over time because they're working over time and they are, you know, um, working far away from home and giving them accommodation and travel expenses and insurance for the watches and catering and all that. And once you add all that up, it becomes stupendously expensive. And yet we get back to where we started, which is that this still is a very functional and very efficient way if the finances work out. It, it's, it should still make sense. And the show was designed so that people from all these disparate parts of the world, like the Far East and the United States, come to Switzerland so that the Swiss watchmakers don't have to leave Switzerland and can go back to making watches and then do it again next year. Now, yeah. they have to do that, plus they have to travel all over the place and learn all this crazy stuff, and so nobody can get anything done. <laughs> so true. I meet so many designers and creative directors and even engineers at watch manufacturers who are on the road, not constantly, but almost constantly. It's ridiculous. The fatigue is very high, and... I've, I pointed this out a while ago, if, and maybe you've heard me talk about it, but I've noticed that across the entire watch industry, managers and professionals and executives and the people that you want working are busy traveling and having meetings. And again, I'm not. it's not because they want to do it. Something is compelling them to do it. It's exhausting them. Hmm. And no one seems to be able to get any work done or make any decisions while everyone's on the road all the time. It doesn't make any sense. It comes from some some school of management that says, you know, yeah, you got to travel where you got to know the markets, but it's not working because they're not learning anything and they're just traveling and they're just fatigued like crazy. Hmm. That's all true. I think we should end there because it's getting really long, this discussion, but I, I hope we could give, you know, some sort of a, an overview on, on the situation, the current, the prevailing situation on the watch trade shows. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of important points to make. Um, does this mean the watch industry is unhealthy? Yeah, probably. Does it mean that the watch industry is going away? No. Uh, is it doom and gloom? No. Are the watch trade shows going to go away? No. Uh, healthy watch industry means healthy watch trade shows. So if the watch industry returns to health, then ostensibly watch trade shows would return to health. And I, and I believe there's a strong case for that. Um, there has been a lot of history of economic downturns. Some of them have lasted a decade or more. And the brands that have been strong from a marketing and communication perspective and have been culturally active during those downturns tend to always do better um, almost rapidly and like and like like they sort of you know slingshot back when things get better. But of course, no one can predict exactly when things get better. They can just assume people are working on it. So there's a lot of opportunities now for the watch industry if it chooses to see it that way. But unfortunately, uh, a lot of the brands are very risk averse and don't want to try something unless someone else has, has attempted it first. So we're going to see a lot of brands doing things that would look like they're sitting on their hands or playing follow the leader or something like that. And that's going to be challenging for us to see because you know we come from 
you know, modern countries where things happen fast and, and the problems get solved. And the watch industry, you know, uh, operates on its own slower pace. So it's going to be a challenging uh, time. We're going to have to travel a lot. As an editorial team, it's going to mean a lot of going to cities uh, to see watches, uh, some maybe one, one at a time in some instances. So uh, it's going to be taxing for us from a business perspective. No doubt it's going to be challenging. So there's a lot of uncertainty um, for us and watch media in general. Watch media is already you know, sort of an endangered species, but uh, the watch industry absolutely needs media. They rely on it in, in a, an enormous amount of ways. So... Uh, the watch industry reevaluating its relationship with media in general is sort of on the agenda of things for them to discuss when they get around to it. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure necessarily when that'll be, but you know, we're uh, we're in it for the long run, and you know, we are consulted constantly. I would say that more so than ever, Blog to Watch is really, you know, part of the solution, if you will. Um, we're not just sort of That's looking right. from the side. We're we're deeply involved with. Um, the organizers of all these shows and with brands on, on a variety of levels. So, um, and we consult a lot. So we're doing our best to sort of help the industry navigate it, not hold our punches, you know. But there's going to be a lot of brands that, for a lack of a better term, are going to be experiencing a state of hibernation up until they get active again because they don't go to the show or the show doesn't happen for them and they don't make enough effort uh, to get media like us to get to have FaceTime with us. Um they might not get any coverage for a year or more, and that's that's not going to be great for them or the retailers. So there's going to be a lot of people that um, that suffer during this period, and that's going to be tough. But there's also a lot of opportunities. That's so true. All right, yeah, we'll see how it all unfolds. I'm looking forward to that. We'll we'll make the most of it. That's for sure. So follow along uh, with the entire blog to watch team um, on blogtowatch.com and our social media channels and uh, for the podcast, which we will do with more frequency. Thank you very much and listen again next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.